was. Wow! Can you believe it's like the 20s? Yeah. So we're going to experience the 20s. By the way, Daryl, you remember the 20s, don't you? <laughs> huh? What are you born? 20, 1926? 25, 1920. Second time through starting now. Anybody else born in the 20s? Anyone else born in the 20s? Who else? Well, 1920s? No, Wayne? No? No? Okay. I, just, just asking. You and Bob. I was like, Bob, what were, you, were you in the 20s you born? Just, just barely. Almost. Yeah? <laughs> huh? 27. So we at least have a couple people here. This is their second time through the 20s. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was probably, I don't know, the end of the 20s got a little rough, didn't it? Yeah, it goes fast, doesn't it? It goes fast. You talk about, you know, all these years. Uh, they go, they, it is like a vapor. Whew. And yeah, it's, so hard. It's, hard. it's hard for me to believe another year has gone by. And it's true. I don't know if I... If the world goes on, and if I, for some reason, I'm left here on planet Earth into my 90s, like you guys, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, if, if by that time, I mean, a year must seem like a snap of your fingers because it seems like every year they go faster and faster and faster. It, we're already in the 20s. You remember, we we're all worried not long ago about Y2K and what was going to happen 20 years ago. It's just amazing to me that we're, we're at another new year, another decade has passed. Another decade. So with it being 2020, all over America, especially in churches, pastors are preaching about, here's the word for the year, 2020 vision, right? Right, vision. And that's something we do need to think about. We need to think about vision. Not as what do I envision, but what, here's what we need to do. is what is God's vision? What is it that God desires to happen, not just in this in this community, in this church, in my life, in my family. What is it? So I want to get, not just get, I want to, I want to, so here's my word. It's focus because that's involved in vision, but we need to focus in on what God's vision already is. And a lot of it's spelled out in his word. It really is. So we need to focus. We need to focus. Like, let's pray we can keep the main thing, the main thing in 2020. All right? And, and so we get so sidetracked by things that, that are, are not the main thing. So I remember as a kid, I thought, well, there's no way the world would last this long, you know? And no flying cars yet? I mean, goodness. Things have not gone like we thought they would. Uh, so before we rush into the new year, okay, as we're, we've already done, but we're, you know, as we go in, before we mess up on all of our resolutions, all right, so here's what we want to say, is that we need to take time to pause and get some scriptural reflection, all right, uh, and so God's word, God's word is the only place, right, that we can go to really get the down low on it all, to get the truth. Uh, if I want accurate information, I'm going to go to the word of God. Um, as smart as human beings are, we're still not very good at predicting what's going to happen. We're just not. We're just not. Now, I know there's a lot of things going on in our world today. And if you read in Scripture, you're going to find that, boy, I tell you what, we are living in the last days. There's some significant things that are happening, okay? And some things will happen in a different way than we think they're going to. Different things that um, you know, we think are going to happen fast may happen slowly. And then some things are going to happen very fast. And once it starts, it's started, okay? So anyway, we're living in exciting days. Um, I, don't think the des- the, I don't think the best days are behind us. Do you? 
Well, I mean, you might say, well, as far as uh, me being able to do everything I want to do, that might be. But I want to tell you still yet, the best days are ahead because one of these days you're going to have a new body. I mean, we got, we've got so much to look forward to. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness, no more you guys coughing all over me trying to give me the flu, <laughs> stuff like that. You know what? Last week, Wayne almost blew his nose on my tie. He was joking around, but I think, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to hang that tie up for a while and not touch it, you know, just, just to be sure. But, uh, but we're going to have all this. We've got, we've got incredible things to look forward to, and these are opportunities. But human beings, as smart as we are, we are not very good at predicting the future. Now, here's something that I, I dug up from my files of predictions. Listen to this. Popular mechanics. They still, is that still out there, popular mechanics? Yeah, it is. Some of you. All right, 1949. You might have this sitting in a box somewhere, Daryl. Popular Mechanics, 1949, says this. Quote, computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tons. Ooh, carry that in your pocket. Uh, In 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, said, quote, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. That was in 1943. Wrong. Uh... In 1977, Ken Olson, president and chairman and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, said, quote, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Um, oh, I like this one. This, this one is from Western Union, um, and it's an internal memo dated 1876. And here's what it says. Um, it says, this, quote, telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us, end quote. Hmm. In 1962, this was quoted by Decca Recording Company. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out in their rejection letter of the Beatles. <laughs> Missed it, didn't they? Uh, oh, and I like this. The president of the Royal Society in 1895 was quoted as saying, heavier than air flying machines are impossible. Okay. Um, and then the famous Bill Gates in 1981. You computer geeks will laugh at this one. Bill Gates, as sharp as he is in 1981, said this, quote, 640 kilobytes of memory ought to be enough for anybody. (laughs) Yeah, you've got more memory than that in your thumb drive, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, But one of my favorites is a doomsday headline, and this is supposedly taken from the Boston Globe, November 13th, 1857. This is before the Civil War, 1857. says... Headline is, energy crisis looms. World may go dark since whale blubber is so scarce. Okay? See, it has, it has to do with perspective, doesn't it? It has to do with perspective. And so we get all these crazy ideas. So I don't trust anybody's predictions about the future except God's because he's been right 100% of the time. All right, up to this point in history, there's been a lot of prophecy fulfilled, and God is always right on track, proven track record. Now, 
I'm going to ask you to turn to Daniel chapter 2 as you see on the screen there. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Now, I want to set the context of this, what we're going to talk about. Unchanging word for changing times. We live in changing times. You think about how fast things are changing. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill, and it's gaining momentum and getting faster and faster and faster as we get to the end of time. Things are moving faster. Okay? Now, it's not that I don't think that human beings are capable of being smarter. I mean, you think about how they built the pyramids and built some of these things with the tools they had. I mean, these people were as smart probably as we are, but the accumulation of technology and of knowledge through the years is snowballing now. And you had several things that happened with world governments and oppression and things being brought back down, and then you have the dark ages and, and all. But, but once we come into the age that we're in now, it's like the Lord has turned us loose. Things are changing fast. Right? Uh, what was it, 09 or 10 that the iPad was introduced? You do realize that this next generation, I mean, the generation, what do they call it, Generation Z, that is coming up of age now, have never known life without Wi-Fi. They've always lived in a post-9-11 world. See, what I'm saying is, is some of us older ones, I'm starting to get in that category We can't really identify with how their minds have been shaped. And then the next generation, they don't even know what to call them. The ones that have been born in this last decade, uh, they're calling them Generation Alpha because they don't know where to go with it. They don't know what to call them yet. But they're the ones who are already four and five and six and seven years old. Oh, let's say four years old. And they can take your smartphone and reprogram it just like that. They know how to swipe. They know how to do all of that stuff. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I mean, you can, you can let, uh, and, and they want that. I notice our, our, our youngest grandbaby, he's, he's what, what, seven or eight months old. Anyway, he sees an electronic device, he's like, ah, ah, I'm going after it, you know. And if he gets it in his little hands, he will reprogram the whole thing in two seconds. And it'll take you three days to straighten it out. I don't know how they do it. Things are changing fast. Uh, but the context, uh, and there are difficult times. There are crazy things happening in the world, but, but, it's, it's not much crazier than it was in Daniel's day. And we're going back hundreds of years B.C. And what God said would happen, happened. Because not only, we're in a different age at that point. Still in the old covenant. All right? Things are happening. The world is a whole different culture. Things operate a little differently than they do now. And now we're living in the age of grace. Hallelujah. But anyway... God had used his people that he singled out in the message that was going out that all nations had access to and the the promised land and all of that stuff. God used his people to judge those nations who wouldn't listen. And there's there's some wild stuff that happens in the Bible. Some really crazy stuff. But then sometimes God turned right around and used some of those nations to come back and he pronounced judgment up front and center right in real time on his own people whenever they didn't listen to him. And he sent his prophets, he sent his preachers, he sent people to teach and to preach and to tell them and to warn them. And they wouldn't listen. And then he said that you're going into captivity. In this temple, that this place where I dwelt my presence and, and from here worship of me you know, happened and, and my truth went out, the light of me went out. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them come in and they're going to destroy every bit of it. They're going to level this whole place. This place that was supposed to be so sacred. God let that happen. And he told them it was going to happen. And he warned them and warned them. And they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it until finally it happened. And during this time, this great king arose in a place called Babylon. Which, by the way, Babylon was centered in part of what we now know as Iraq. 
in this whole area of the world, in Iran and Iraq and in the Middle East, it's still, it's still like uh, center stage, is it not? But this king, Nebuchadnezzar, became the most powerful king. I mean, he is a super powerful dictator king. And he comes and he besieges, and he takes over all these other city-states and nations. He besieges Jerusalem. And during this time, he just wears them down, finally breaks down the walls and comes through and levels everything, including the Magnus magnificent temple and all of it. During this, this time of being besieged, there were about three different times that they took like people and deported them out of there. And then in the end, they ended up just killing people and leveling the place. And God's word that he had said, the prophecy, that his people would go into captivity and it was going to, even told them how long it was going to last, 70 years. It happened just like God said. Early on, some of the best and brightest, they would come in and they would find some of the best and brightest, and they deported them. And what Babylon wanted to do is they wanted to take, especially these young men, and they wanted these young guys, probably young teenagers, and they wanted to put them in their schools, teach them, you know, their language, and they want to teach them their culture. They want to teach them their religion. They want to teach them their ways. They want to use the best and the brightest and assimilate them into their culture and use them. And this guy named Daniel was one of those young men, and he was of royal descent. Uh, because, see, God had even set up this kingly line through David and through that line of people that this great deliverer, the anointed one, Messiah, was going to come. And now, all of a sudden, there's no king. Do you see how God let this operate? How it seemed like everything had failed if you were just on the outside looking and not listening to what God had been saying. You would think everything had failed. And let me just tell you, sometimes even in your life or in this world, you look around and think, well, Lord, you failed. And everything's just like, not like it should be. I want to tell you, it's probably right where God said it would be. He has a plan. And God is the one that is moving history. Absolutely. History is actually his story. Yeah. And during this time, Daniel and, and his group of people had been taken captive. And, and here's what the neat thing about the book of Daniel. We'll probably come back to this later on. I, I'm just feeling like, because Daniel is taken from being in a very uh, Bible, you might say, of all the Bible that they had oriented place, to a place that's totally pagan. And Daniel and his friends, they were able to live in a pagan culture and not just survive, but thrive. That there were some things that I'm sure he had to accommodate. There were some things he had to do. But then there were some lines that weren't going to be crossed. There were some things that he was not going to do. And you find that early on in the first chapters about there were some things he wasn't going to compromise. He drew lines. He took stand. But then there were some things that he not only was not going to do, there were some things he was going to do and keep doing no matter what. And you see that later on, whenever an edict went out not to pray, and he was willing to just keep doing, he didn't have to make a decision. What am I going to do? I'm just going to do what I've always done. And remember the story about the lion's den, right? Remember all that? So all that happens. But there's a lot of prophecy in this book. And, 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 and so it's just so much we can learn from Daniel and how you can thrive even in Babylon. Okay, and we can thrive. We're not just going to survive, but this is God is doing a work here. So, in all this time of captivity, all this time it seems like everything's failed, and these people are taken captive. Right in the middle of it, God brings some of these young men who were followers of Him, He brings them front and center. Daniel was a gifted person, and He's kind of, they're, they're just like the most intelligent. They're being taught all this stuff, and they're put in a group of people that were known as seers. Or magicians, they're just wise men, okay? Oh, by the way, later on, 
centuries later, yeah, there's, there's wise men that come from the east. They were probably, you know, descended from some of this, and they knew these prophecies. And see, they've been exposed to God's word through God's people being, the Jews being in captivity there, and people like Daniel and Ezekiel who taught there. And they knew enough that when this sign appeared that they followed. Isn't that something? Yeah, so that's kind of the area where they came from. All right. Back to the sermon. <laughs> um, so Daniel uh, and his friends are there, and great, gigantic, powerful King Nebuchadnezzar has this weird vision. And I almost take it like it reoccurs and reoccurs, and he sees this vision. It's of his big image, and the head is gold, and like the breast is silver, and then you've got iron, and then its legs. It's just different parts of the legs uh, down to its feet are iron mixed with clay, which is not as strong. And, and then during the middle of this vision, there's this rock formed without hands. If you read the story, I mean, I'm not making this up. This is right here in the Bible. This rock is hewn. It comes out of a mountain with, made without hands like God did this. And this rock comes and it smashes that image and it turns it to powder and the, like chaff. The wind blows it away. And then this rock just grows and fills up the earth and the whole universe. And, and it's like Nebuchadnezzar keeps having this and, and he just can't figure it out. And he's, he's bothered by it. So he calls all of his wise men, these seers, these so-called, maybe you can call them prophets or, or, or whatever, magicians. They brings them in, and he's, he wants to know the answer. Now, the way the language sounds, we're not sure whether he can't really remember all this, but he knows it's there, or if he's just going to be like, you know, if you're going to help me, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. I, I want you to tell me what it is and what it means. And they're like, no king has ever asked, because they had a little scam going on, right? Yeah, no king's ever asked this. And so, by the way, he says, okay, then all you guys are fired. Permanently. Terminated. He told his uh, chief bodyguard type guy, head of his force, you go and you gather up all these guys and cut their heads off. Well, now, Daniel and his friends are are growing and learning in the but but they're going to be included in that number. Tight spot, huh? All right, that's what we find. Chapter 2. It's exciting. Are you still with me? Okay, good, good. You're right in there. Good, good. And um, so in verse 14 of chapter 2, Daniel finds out what's going on. And, and I like in verse 14, I'm going to back up. I just want to read some of this. It's so good. It says, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, who was the captain of the king's guard, with counsel and wisdom. So he wasn't just doing all this by himself. His, his buddies were there. They were praying and they were seeking God and wisdom from God. So with counsel and wisdom, he says he, he, uh, he, he um, answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? So it's like Daniel and his friends are just now hearing about this. We're rounding you guys up and we're killing you. <laughs> Whoa, why the rush, right? Then Arioch made the decision. He told, he told Daniel what was going on, basically. So Daniel, verse 16, does something very brave. And we read this verse and we we'll realize how risky this was that he did this. At this point, maybe it feels like, what do I have to lose? It says, Daniel went in and asked the king. You didn't just go in and ask the king. This was a big deal. But he went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the, uh, the, king, uh, the interpretation. So Daniel says, I'm going to tell this to you, but you've got to give me a little time. So what does he do? Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, 
Mishael and Azariah. Oh, you might know them by their... See, when they took them in, they gave them like new names that were after like Babylon's gods. You might know them by their Babylon names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who those three guys are. Uh, so he tells them, and it says, why? Why did he tell them? Well, he got them together. Isn't it great for, you know, we need to come together, God's people. Verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Did you see that? Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Verse 19. Oh, by the way, this was written in all the Old Testament written in Hebrew, except parts of Daniel and Ezra written in Aramaic, which is a very close cousin to Hebrew because they were in captivity. Uh, that is the Aramaic word that is the same as the Hebrew word barak, which means to kneel and to honor and to bless God. And that's the word, see, we're going to use some of that stuff we learned last week right now. That, 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 that Daniel blessed God. And in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed, it was Barak, blessed be the name of God. I bow before you. I worship you. I honor you. You see that, that expression of, of praise that he has and of worship right there. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Verse 21, listen to this. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you. I thank you, he says. Did you see that? That word, I thank you, is the equivalent of the Hebrew word, yada. So he's praising God and thanking him. That is the word there. Involves the hands of, of raised hands, hands even that clap. And so he says, I thank you and I praise you. Remember Shabak? That's a shout of praise. So I'm thanking you. I'm bowing before you. I'm shouting praises to you. All that stuff you find right here in Daniel's words right here on our text. All right? So you paid attention last week. You didn't know how you can use that to help enrich your understanding of what's being said here. So he says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we ask of God, for you have made known to us the king's demands. Great story! And then, so he, he, he breaks forth into praise, and what happened was, is what God revealed to him was this image was a vision of the kingdoms that were coming. He goes and he, and I, likes it, I like it whenever he goes before Nebuchadnezzar and he says, you know, hey, none of these other guys can help. You've got the answer. Awesome, let's hear it. I like how Daniel approaches. He doesn't go in there like, yeah, I got this. He doesn't do that. If you're real, you don't do that. He answered in verse 27 and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known 
to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. And this goes all the way through the end times, where he talks about that head of gold represents him, and then the Medo-Persian Empire after that, and then the Greek Empire, led by Alexander the Great after that, and then the Roman Empire, all the way down to the feet, which reaches down to the time that the Messiah appears, and even into the, the last days. This, this is a, a powerful vision. So he, he begins to tell him all of this, but in the middle of this, I want to draw your attention. We'll come back to that maybe someday. It's really incredible how awesome and how exact and how precise all of this is described hundreds of years before it happened. But anyway, I want to draw your attention back to verse 21 where it says, He, talking about God, Jehovah God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He is the one in control. He is the one in control. Those things seem crazy. Life seems... Hey, he was about to be executed. But he says, God is the one in control of all the things of all time. Even you, king. Wow. So, he's the one that changes. We're living in a time of change. As I said, things are changing faster now than ever. I remember a time with all the technology and stuff. It's like, oh boy, this is cool, man. Now it's like, I can do everything I need to do, all right? I don't even, you know, I'm getting in that mode. And, and so what could happen is, is I could become like the stick in the mud, right? Um, but um, anyway, that's, that's a whole other issue. Let me move on with the message. Here's the point. Here's the point I want to bring. Change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. It is. Don't like it? Sorry. Too bad, so sad. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Times change. People change. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, this has been true. Times, cultures, people, societies continually change all through history. It should be evident to all of us that things are progressing toward a climax of time, which will be the return of Jesus Christ. It's happening. We're marching that direction. And it doesn't matter what people do, what Satan tries to do, it's going to happen because God's in control. So times and people change, always have. Now they're just changing faster than at any time in history. The technological advances, the scientific discoveries, the accumulated knowledge. I could show you statistics and things, but I don't want to take time with that. It's just, it is, it is... How could we be moving so fast right now? Had this happened 1,000 years ago, we'd already messed the whole planet up, right? Which, by the way, a word on that, if you really are a Christian, you understand this is God's planet, you know? I don't want you coming to my house and messing things up, right? That's my stuff. Don't go rearrange my silverware drawer, right? (laughs) If you're going to empty the dishwasher, God bless you, but put stuff where I can find it, Amen? So God don't want us messing up his house. I mean, really, the respect that we have for his creation. We don't go around just deliberately trashing and destroying the place. We want to treat it with respect, right? But now there are other people who think, this is the only hope we have is this planet. Yeah. It's a whole different, whole different deal there. All right. Yeah. I got I to keep getting back to this sermon. I'm getting on some other stuff, aren't I? All right. Maybe that's that bonus. Bonus. That's just all bonus. All right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> times, people, we all, yeah, every, the planet, everything, fast, happening fast, happening really fast. It's just mind-boggling, the speed at which it's going, right? We've even got 
Uh, we've even got, um, we've even got high-speed internet, like here. Randy said, "Amen." Anyway, <laughs> no, you don't realize how hard this is to if, to get it going. Um, thing is, is is you know, who would have thought? I mean, who would have thought ten, fifteen years ago some of the things that's happening in the world would even be happening right now? Some of the problems, some of the issues. So, times and people change. We change. Hmm? Our tastes, our preferences, my tastes change. I think I've gotten as far as even food. There's things I wouldn't eat years ago. I think now I just eat everything. Everything tastes good. Uh, preferences, ideas, our methods change. Our bodies continually change. And now, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm definitely on the downhill slide of that, Right? Things are changing, but it's not for the better. Um, you know, and so in the past hundred years, you just think, uh, you know, Daryl, you and Bob, you guys are born in the 1920s that are now going into the 2020s. In your lifetime, you've probably seen more changes in this world than any other uh, generation that has lived because you're born, hardly anybody around probably had an automobile, no electricity, right? No, hey, kids, guess what? They didn't, they didn't have a bathroom. They didn't have a bath, they had a path to the outhouse out back, right? No running water, no electricity, no anything like that. The, you know, and, and airplanes were like the new thing. Boy, if you, if, there's an air, if you heard an airplane, everybody stopped what he was doing and looked at it, didn't they? Like, man, there's an airplane. Well, this is really something. Or an automobile. Grant told me that his dad said when they first got automobiles around that that never worked. That'll never, ever work. Because there weren't good roads. I mean, they were. They just didn't work good. There weren't good roads. Uh, and he said, besides, somebody's going to get hurt on one of those things one of these days. Boy, was he right about that. Um, anyway, uh, but in, in, in your lifetime, now, now, who would have thought? Who what if somebody had told you, and, and when you just come back even from World War II, what, what if somebody had told you that one of these days, and I know you won't carry one, but, but one of these days that you're going to have this little device you can carry in your pocket that you can access pretty much all of the accumulated knowledge of mankind at your fingertips anytime you want, anywhere almost, that you are. Would you, who, who would have thought that 20 years ago, 30 years ago? So I'm just telling you, things are changing fast, and we change. Uh, and uh, but the thing about it is, is there's a there's a there's a problem here. There's a uh, <laughs> I'm going to get it up there here in a minute. There's a problem. Can you can you give me a click back there, <laughs> or a swipe or something there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the problem with change. Boom, there it is. It's up there. So I want you to hear it as well as see it. Oh, by the way, like all this technology, like I say before, we could meet in a cave somewhere with memorized scripture oh boy with memorized scripture and uh and 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 just in 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 no musical instruments and we can still worship and do things but i'm going to tell you if we have tools available i'm going to use them because i want to tell you this satan is going to use them everything that satan can get his hands on electronic technologically or anything he can get that will entertain that will distract that will dis- corrupt that will destroy the minds of our people especially our young people he is going to use it he's going to use movies he's going to use entertainment he's going to use everything that he can and so i'm going to tell you what if i have tools available to help teach and to spread the gospel i'm going to use them and i guarantee you paul would have loved to use any tool he could got his hands on to help teach the gospel 
gospel, right? And um, so, but the main thing is what this word is saying. And so the problem with change, the problem with change is, is that you and I live in a sin-cursed world. And this is a problem for a lot of people. It's like, how could there be a loving God who is all-powerful that let such horrible things go on on this planet? That's valid. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is you, you stumbled over it. When you said, could a loving God let this happen? Love is the reason. Whew. Stay with me for a second. I've got to get on this. Love involves choice. You can't put a gun on somebody's head and make them love you. Love involves choice. God chose to create us differently than animals. Otherwise, we'd be just like animals operating on instinct. There's really no relationship there. God wanted a relation, a love relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been loved and being loved in this perfect love relationship. Jesus talks about the glory and the relationship that they had throughout the eternal ages to be restored whenever, you know, he's looking forward to that when he was praying in John 17. He wants to bring us into that to share that love. Love demands a choice. There had to be an option to sin. To disobey, to breach that relationship, or else there's no choice, there's real no love. Obviously, the angels, we don't get any information much about this in the Bible, but it's obvious from what happened, what we do have, is that God also created the angelic beings with at least some sense of a free will, since some of them did rebel and fall. Satan being the leader, who we call Satan the leader. But for them, there is no redemption. But for the human beings that God created in his own image, he already knew that in order to be loved, there would have to be that choice. That one tree in the garden stood as a symbol of that choice, that this is God's planet. He's the owner. He's God. I can say what goes. Ownership, but also choice. And we chose no. Not only did Adam and Eve choose to sin and brought, the, brought a curse of sin, their sin brought the curse of sin on the planet, on the whole cosmos, on our flesh. This is why there's evil. This is why bad things happen to good people. This is why this planet is in disarray. This is not the way God intended, created it, but he knew it would happen because he had to let this happen in order to love us. So love is a choice. We chose no. It brought sin. It brought the consequences. But God chose yes. See? Choice. I can tell you hundreds, maybe thousands of reasons why I should love God. But I cannot even give you one reason why he should love me. Except that he chose to. He just chose to. In fact, before the world was created, he knew. Why did God bother with creation if he knew what we were going to do? Well, that's not my question. My question is, why did he bother with it when he knew it was going to cost him to redeem us? Nobody's going to live in the kingdom of heaven with him as their Lord and King that don't want him. See, that's really what judgment is. The judgment you read about in the Bible is where God just solidifies forever the decision that you make. 
And so the thing is, is you can't be your own God. You can't save yourself. God himself had this plan of redemption to redeem us. The perfection that God demands because God is perfect and holy, God supplied through the only one qualified to redeem us. And that is his son, Jesus Christ, who came fully human to identify with us, fully God to bring God and humanity together. He's the only one that could satisfy the justice and holiness of God against our sin for all eternity and pay the price for us so that when you and I come by faith, trusting in Him and what He did, submitting our life to Him, admitting that we're sinners and trusting in Him, the price of our sin is applied to the cross and his righteousness is deposited in our account. His perfection. That's what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 4 and so many places. This is it. This is it. But right now, we live in a sin-cursed world. And um, there are a lot of times we have trouble reconciling things that are going on and things that even happen to us in our lives. You know, there's been times that I realize right now in the world there are much better Christians than any of us who love the Lord with a deeper sincerity than any of us that are suffering unimaginable things. Now, how could God let people who love him suffer like that? God sees what we don't see. I don't see it. I just know it's there. It's for him to allow that. He sees that in the next... This is time we live in. And that God sees in that first instance of eternity that even those who have it the worst will look back and say, that was nothing. What he has for us is so incredible that no suffering here, Paul said, could even compare. It's, you, can't even, you can't even compare it. So God knows and God sees what we can't. Are you willing to trust him on that? And that one of these days, God is going to intervene and this world is going to be judged. It's going to be an end. There's an end, there's an end game, yes. God's already spelled it out. It's mysterious, yes. If we knew too much about it, we'd just sit around so distracted by it, we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't stay focused, 2020, on the thing he told us to even pray about, his kingdom come, his will be done. He's, he's drawing his kingdom out of this world of those who are willing to come. And so, one of these days... This is going to happen. And the Bible talks about it. even the creation. There's going, to be a, there's going to be destroyed. There's nothing physical we can hold on to that's going to be here. It's all going to be destroyed. And that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Did you know, if you really understand and read the Bible, that in, in, in eternity, that we're not only going to enjoy what we call now heaven, that we can't even understand, that we're also going to get to enjoy a recreated new earth? You think this one's beautiful. Lord willing, I'm about to go, one of my favorite places to go, I don't know if I want to live there, but I love going there out west to the mountains in northern New Mexico. It's beautiful. I love it. I really, oh, wow, just want to worship the Lord. Um, I can remember last year, just first morning there, because everybody else is dragging around. I'm able to get ready and walk out and get on the ski lift by myself. And it's a beautiful morning, and I'm going up the mountain. And it's so beautiful. It's snow covered. And starting to see the sun come up. And I'm just glorifying God. And I just thought, how awesome would it be if the Lord comes back now and I just go right up this mountain, right on to glory. I'll meet y'all there. Woo! Yeah. But what's it going to be like in the new heavens, in the new earth? I don't know. 
But I just know that God has this plan. And that's part of what he's talking about in Daniel there that he was telling. And, and the thing about it is, is that the problem with change is, is that most all change because of the curse of sin that happens here is not going to be good. But if you know Jesus, it turns change around. Because now what he wants to do in our life is to change us. When we repent, and the word repent actually means to change, that we're willing to acknowledge that we're sinners and trust in him, that, and we are saved, that his presence enters into us to begin to remake us, to renew us. And even though Paul said in 2 Corinthians, what was it, chapter 4, that our outward person perishes, uh, our outward person, or is it chapter 4? Yeah, well, anyway, anyway, our, you look it up. Our outward person begins to perish. Our inward person is renewed day by day. He's remaking us into the image of Christ, changing us in the way we think, in the way we act. And so now, because of Christ, even though we live and change is a given, change becomes a good thing. We don't have to be like Mark Twain, who said that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. right? (laughs) Because now change can become good of what God is changing in us. And so I want to base my change in my life on the Word of God and His principles that are eternal. Because as he says here, the last thing I want to say is God's Word never changes. Malachi 3.6, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Why? God is perfect. If God were to change, He would become less than what He is. He can't change for the better. He's unchangeable. God doesn't change. And not only that, but he tells us that um, his Word, His truth, it's, it's, it's these three things. It's absolute, it's objective, it's transcendent. That is, it's absolute truth. It is objective. It's not relative. That is, it's true whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not. It's true now. It was true in the first century. It'll be true in the end. It never changes. It's objective. It dwells outside the realm of man. See, a lot of people today think, what's true for you may not be true for me. That's not God's truth. God's truth is always true. If it's not always true, it's not true. Because for a lot of people, what they call truth is actually pragmatism. It's whatever works for them. What Hitler thought was true is not the thing that would work for too many people, would it? Because it was lies. It wasn't truth. God's truth never changes. It's objective. It's absolute. And it's transcendent. It transcends mankind. It transcends our finite minds. It trans- see, see, human beings want to be God. We want to think we've got to know everything. We've got to be able, if I can't contain everything about God and about all of this stuff in my mind, then I won't believe it. If you think you could contain it in your mind, then you could, maybe you would be God. That's the problem. It transcends us. It transcends the universe. God's truth never changes. And he says in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. It's not going to change. It's not going to change. It's not ever going to become obsolete. First Peter 1 Peter 25, he says, All flesh is like grass, and the glory, even the best we got, is like the flower of grass. Even the best and the brightest and most awesome things we can build is like flowers of grass. What happens? Sun gets up, time goes on, the grass withers, the flower falls away. But he says, all that will happen, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which, by the gospel, was preached to you. It endures forever. I want to build my life on the word of God. How about you? I want, I want to be on the solid rock. And here's the last thing is, God's people, we're change agents. We ought to be in this world sharing good news and hope 
and be God's agents for change. He says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that one of the reasons he wrote that book was so that we would know how we conduct ourselves in the household of God, in the family of God. This is, he says, the church, the ecclesia, the called out people of God, of the living God. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Did you hear that? Who in this world is the pillar and the foundation of real truth? It's the church of the living God. So we are God's change agents in this world that is dying for change. This world that is decaying. We're the only hope that they have. The truth that we know and believe. Why aren't we sharing it? Why aren't we loving people? Why aren't we showing the truth? And, and sometimes, you know, we need to declare that truth. But we need to do it in love. There's some bad news that goes along with the good news, right? People have to know that. But as we tell them about it, there needs to be a, a look of love in our eyes and not a scowl. Right? And this is what we hold to in changing times is God's unchanging word. You can build your life on it. Remember Jesus telling the story about two people who were building houses. One built his on the sand. The other on a solid rock. When the floods and the storm came, the house on the sand went splat. Remember singing that when you were a kid? So build your house on the Lord, Lord Jesus. Lord, what, I don't know. We had motions. Yeah. On the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that heard the word and obeyed it. It's like the person who builds their house on the rock. I want to hear the word. I want to build my life on his truth. It will never fail. It never changes. And it's just as relevant today as it was in the 18 whatevers. Right? Little house on the prairie. It's just as relevant to George Jetson (laughs) as it is Paul Ingalls. We don't have to make the Word of God relevant. It's relevant. The problem isn't the Word of God. It's us. We're not relevant. Word of God is. Let's just commit ourselves to it right now. Pray with.